Let's look at Genesis 21, verses 1 through 21. <clears throat> Sometimes growing up, hanging out with friends, doing things or whatever, and then somebody would have an idea, let's go do this, and you're, you know, I'd be wondering, should I do this or should I not? And, you know, the question would come up, are you in or are you out? Right? Like, are you in or you out? Commit. Commit to the activity. Commit to the trip. Whatever it may be. But what about a trip to eternal life? What about a trip to the new heavens and the new earth? Are you in or are you out? I want you to know today that Jesus is the dividing line who determines if you are in or out of eternal life. Let's read Genesis 21 together. I I will read. You can just listen. But... Let's look at uh, verses 1 through 7. I want you to see that God is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper who in the first two verses, his timing is perfect. In verses 3 and 4, we'll see that he is a promise keeper who is to be obeyed. And then in verses 5 through 7, he is a promise keeper who gives us a joyful testimony. So with that, let's look at verse 1. We read there, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. He is a promise keeper whose timing is perfect. Then Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. That's Isaac name, Isaac's name means laughter, okay, or one who laughs, okay. And there's a lot of plays on names in this passage. We can't get into them all, but... Isaac brings laughter. She says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. God's timing is perfect. We read there, as he said, as he had promised, which God had spoken to him. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham of a child who would bear his name and be brought into the covenant that Abraham had made with the Lord. And he is a God who is to be obeyed. Abraham names and circumcises Isaac as God had commanded him. Now I want to make just a quick note. Faith precedes obedience. Okay, We've, We've already covered previously in Genesis when Abraham expressed his faith. It says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He had faith in God's promise, and God gave him righteousness for it. So we're saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not works, but we are saved to do good works. And so we see that here. Abraham's faith is expressed by obedience to the Lord in verses 3 and 4, as he names and circumcises Isaac as God had commanded him. And then Sarah rejoices in the fact that she now has a joyful testimony. Uh, Her testimony has been changed from a barren woman who is old to fruitful in her old age. 
And when people hear about it, they're just going to laugh and they're going to marvel at what happened. So God is a promise keeper, and he made a promise to Abraham that one of his children would crush the head of the serpent. And that promised child is Jesus Christ. So the ultimate fulfillment of this passage is not Isaac, but Jesus. And he is the promised offspring who was given at just the right time. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus is the promised offspring who is to be believed and obeyed. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus is also the promised offspring who gives us a joyful testimony. He wrote in John, or John wrote in John 15, 10 through 12, he says, If you keep my commandments, this is Jesus speaking, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We have joy despite our circumstances, right? That's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, I'm happy because of what happened to me. Or what happens to me, my circumstances affect my happiness. But you can have joy even when your circumstances are terrible. And God gives joy to us. A full joy, he says. It's interesting how our testimonies can cause others to marvel. After I uh, was saved, uh, I, I got a call from one of my college friends and he was calling about a job and that type of thing and I, I was talking to him and I said hey Neil man I just want to let you know I got saved and he got real quiet and he said well David you weren't the last person I thought would get saved but I'm surprised right God can save the worst of sinners and if you're here this morning I don't want you to come here and think man I I can't God can't save me oh yeah yeah he can Jesus You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He can save you from your sins. Repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then tell others about what God did for you. As Abraham and Sarah's testimony was transformed from barrenness to fruitfulness, so can your testimony be changed to a saved sinner. Jesus is the promised offspring But he gives us a promise. He's the promised offspring who will return and give us eternal inheritance. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, he's talking to his disciples. He's going to be crucified, and he's letting them know, hey, it's going to be okay, guys. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, right after this, Jesus was crucified, but Jesus didn't stay dead, and he's not going to stay gone. He's going to return. That's a promise. And God is a promise keeper. But until that day when the new creation comes and we inherit the earth, God's promises are going to divide earthly families into those who will inherit the land 
from those who will not. And we see a picture of this in Genesis uh, 21, verses 8 through 13. Let's read there. Verse 8. And the child, that's Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now here, here again, this is that play on Isaac's name. But this time it's not joyful laughing, it's a mocking. In Galatians, Paul says that this is when he persecuted him. He's making fun of him. So Sarah sees the son of Hagar the Egyptian laughing at her son. She's probably concerned, hey, is this a Cain and Abel type of situation? And so in verse 10, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. God's promises divide earthly families into those who will inherit the land and those who will not. And we see here, uh, so lest you think of, you know, when Adam listened to his wife, that was a bad thing because she was telling him to sin. And I told you back then, that doesn't mean that you never listen to your wife's counsel. Okay, here's an example where Sarah gives godly counsel to Abraham. God agrees with what Sarah is saying. You need to protect this child. This is the child of promise. This is the child that will inherit the land that I'm promised to Abraham. He's the covenant child, not the son of the slave woman. Another interesting tidbit as you read this passage, Ishmael is never named. He's always called the son of the slave woman or the boy. It's like he's already been put out you know, his mocking, he's despising Abraham and Abraham's seed, and so he's put out of the covenant. <clears throat> so, God's promises divide earthly families into those who will inherit the land and those who will not. It's the same with Jesus Christ. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he makes you to be children who then will inherit the earth. But that following after him is going to have, there's going to be moments where family members are going to say, hey, you know, you need to do this instead of following Jesus, or they're going to, there's going to be conflicts that occur. And Jesus is saying, look, 
You, you can love your family, but you better love me more. You follow me. And if there's ever a conflict between me and anybody else, and your loyalties are questioned, you follow me. You love me more than anyone on this earth. So our loyalties are tested. It might even cost us our life. But he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You follow Jesus with your life. Jesus makes us children. God places us in Christ. We're adopted into his family. Look at Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. We have a couple times that our passage from, uh, from Genesis is mentioned in the book of Galatians. <clears throat> and now we come into, we've got a Roman society, and a Roman child was, he had no rights. He had basically the rights of a slave until he got to an age where the father says, okay, you're ready to be a man, and they would have a ceremony, and he would become a son, and, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd become an heir. Right? I mean, he was a son, but he wasn't going to inherit anything until the father determined he was ready for that, so they'd make him a son. Okay, So that's kind of the background for what the Apostle Paul is bringing in here, and then he's going to refer it back to our story with Isaac and Ishmael. <clears throat> so Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, he says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave or a servant in the household though he is the owner of everything. For he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In other words, we were living under the world's reign, under the spiritual reign of Satan. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So when you repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Savior, you're made an heir of God. Now, what, what does God own? Everything. I mean, that's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. So we're going to inherit the earth, but it's not going to be till the new creation. But until then, like Isaac, we should expect persecution from those who are outside the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Look down to Galatians 4.28 through 31. Galatians 4.28. <clears throat> And this is where he refers back to our passage in Genesis. He says, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So until we get our eternal inheritance, as a Christian, you should belong to a church. You should be a member of a church, committed to a group of believers who are going to help you follow Jesus. But there are going to come along people who don't believe the gospel, but they're going to come in and they're going to try to convince Christians that there's something else they need to do for their salvation. 
And we have little different denominations around us and cults, theological cults, who have come and they're teaching a different gospel. And if one of them comes in here, we are not to allow them to become a member of our church. And if there is a person who we've misread and we've let become a member of the church and then suddenly there's false teaching, then we have to make a difficult decision. We have to cast out that person from membership in our church. And that's not easy. Notice what Abraham, he was displeased. It's interesting that Abraham doesn't really speak much in this passage. Just says he was displeased. I mean, this is his son. It's not the son of promise, but it's still his son. But his son of the flesh, born of his workings, that son is persecuting the son of the promise, the one God gave. And they can't have that, but it's hard. He initially resists because of relationships, and sometimes church discipline is difficult because we have relationships. But if somebody won't repent of their sin, then they're not behaving like a Christian, and we can't allow that here. Christ's testimony is important, and Christ's testimony through Faith Baptist Church is important. God's promises divide earthly families into those who will inherit the land from those who will not. Jesus is the dividing line. Jesus' coming divides people into those who will inherit eternal life from those who will not. But until the judgment day, God does provide for those outside the covenant. Back to Genesis. It's interesting Ishmael's not named in the whole passage, yet there are some ironies here. From our previous uh, look at Hagar and Ishmael wandering in the wilderness, Uh, Hagar called, uh, she named a place, the God who sees. Yet she's going to have to have her eyes opened here. And then Ishmael's name means God hears. And it's the boy that God hears, not Hagar, in this passage. So we have that kind of behind the scenes going on. Apparently, Hagar was not crying out to the Lord, but the boy was. Look at verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now the child's going to be older at this point, right? He's going to be in that 15 to 18 year old range probably. Verse 15. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And as she sat opposite of him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. Where is he? Or where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. 
Hagar and Ishmael are content to dwell outside the promised land. Instead of repenting of their mocking and despising uh, of, of Abraham and his family, they instead uh, they should have repented of that and they should have associated themselves with Abraham. Similar to the way Jonathan associated himself with David. Even though Jonathan was supposed to be the heir through his, king, his dad, the king, he gave his loyalty and allegiance to David as the future king of Israel. Hagar and Ishmael should have done something like that. But instead, they chose to be enemies of God's people and to take, people, take, take a wife from Egypt, where Hagar was from. Yet, God delivered them from peril and blessed them with earthly greatness, even though they were not in the covenant with God. God still does this today for those who reject Jesus. In Matthew 5, 45, he says this, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. We call it common grace, God's common grace. It's just grace that he gives to everyone, the blessings of rain and food and good things like that. But I want you to note something. God spared Ishmael's life, but that didn't mean Ishmael was saved in a spiritual sense. He was still an enemy of God's people. I've heard people say before, I know God's got something for me because, and then they relay how they were sick when they were a kid, and, and, and they attribute to God their salvation from death, which is a good thing. Maybe they were in a car accident. I mean, I've heard all kinds of different things. I know God's got something for me because he spared me from death or from this terrible situation and restored me. The fact that God saved you from a difficult situation, number one, that's great. I'm glad you're still alive. But if there were to be a meaning behind it, it would be so that you could hear the gospel still and repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because Jesus is the dividing line, not your experiences in life. I remember telling the guy that was witnessing to me, I remember telling him about a dream I had. My, my salvation rested on a dream that I had of Jesus. It was, it was a weird dream. But I told him about it, and he goes, you know, David, that's interesting. He says, but that must, be just, that must have been some bad pizza you had. Because your salvation is not based on a dream. And your salvation is not based upon the fact that God saved you from death at some point in your life. Your salvation rests in Christ and Christ alone. And if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ, then do so today. And that may offend you. You may have lived years of your life thinking you were right with God because he saved you from an accident. Isaac was not a believer. Excuse me, not Isaac, Ishmael. Ishmael was not a believer. He was an enemy of God. Yet God saved him here. So just because God spares your life doesn't mean that you're a born-again believer. And then I would say this, just because you have earthly blessings doesn't mean you are saved. God not only saved Ishmael, but he he gave him 12 tribes of children, just like he was going to do with Jacob. Like, there's, there's, there's no differences we, we, between these two children. They're both going to be the progenitors of a great people. So don't take your earthly blessings. Oh, God's blessed me with this, and God's blessed me with that, and that type of thing. Ishmael was a great king, if you will, of 12 tribes. But that didn't mean he was right with God. Jesus is the dividing line. Don't trust in the blessings that you have in this life. Some Christians 
Hebrews 11 tells us we're sawn in two. What a blessing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. He is the dividing line. Don't put your trust in experiences. Don't put your trust in earthly blessings. Repent of your sin and trust Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. That's what puts you on your journey to the eternal promised land. So are you in or are you out? Jesus is the dividing line who determines if you are in or out of the new heavens and the new earth, eternal life. Your only hope for being in a right relationship with God is through repentance from your sin and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. If you've never done that, I urge you to do so today. If you need help understanding that, get with myself or Pastor Tad or one of the deacons and ask them about it. But what about Christians? What does it mean for us to be in the family of God, to be committed to Christ as he leads us to the promised land? What should our response be to the promises of God? And we find them very similar to Abraham. We should respond with obedience to our new king, keeping his commandments from a heart of love. We should have joy. We've been adopted and transformed into new creatures, born again. One day we will inherit the earth. One day Jesus is going to return for us. Does that give you joy? But until that day, we must not tolerate false teaching in the church. Like Abraham, sometimes we have to make difficult decisions, but we want to obey God. And so we must cast out those who are unrepentant in slavery to sin or false teaching. Unrepentant being the key. The purpose for church discipline is restoration. We are wanting the person to repent of their sin, believe the gospel, be part of the family. But if they're unrepentant, then they're acting like an unsaved person. And so they ultimately, after we try, try, and try, they have to be put out. Our allegiance is to Christ. He's the dividing line. Jesus is the dividing line. His coming Divides people into those who will inherit eternal life from those who will not when he returns. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you will work in hearts today, Father. If there are some here who have never trusted you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they will repent of their sins and that their eyes will be opened to see the glory of Jesus as their only hope for salvation. And Father, for the Christians here, I pray that you will remind us anew of the wonders of being adopted into your family and that our love is expressed through our obedience to you in this life and obeying your commands and loving others and helping others as we journey towards our eternal promised land. So Father, use us. Help us to have joy, help us to experience that joy in such a way that others see our testimony and they marvel, maybe even laugh. Some will laugh in disbelief, some will mock. But Father, when we have those opportunities, may we be bold in sharing the gospel with them so that they too may repent of their sin and trust Christ as their Savior. Father, have your way now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.